Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Appleton, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean, who has finally returned to Altoona after a trip out to his old stomping grounds of lacrosse. And uh, it's been a couple of days now, but the Green Bay Packers, for the first time in four years, were able to open the regular season with a victory, this time in Chicago with a 31-23 to victory over the Bears. Uh, Matt, we've had a couple of days to digest this here, and... There's been some mixed feelings about this game, but overall, uh, it's very important to start the season with a win, and uh, you got to be satisfied with that. Yeah, starting the season with a win is something that we haven't done lately, so it's it's a good feeling to start 1-0 and not feel like you're in the hole right away. Um, you know, starting against Chicago is a little bit different than we've experienced lately, which has been great, uh, or which was great for us to at least get an easier one here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely have mixed feelings about this game. I think like everybody does, there was a... A lot of scary things we saw, but, you know, again, you come out with a win. Rodgers didn't look rusty at all. He looked great, which is pretty much the most important thing as a Packer fan. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I thought the Bears played above their normal level, and I, they made it a game. But, you know, overall, it's good just to get the W. Yeah, and we'll go into detail about many of the things that you just mentioned there. But I wanted to start with the rivalry itself, and many of the – National media outlets were really hyping up this game. It was the Showcase Fox game. We got Buck and Aikman. Lots of talk about this being the oldest rivalry. But the adjective was always oldest. It was never greatest or most competitive. And I almost felt there was a little insincerity when you'd hear people try to hype this up and make a big deal out of it. And I know it was the first game, and I know that it's the Bears, and they've been playing forever. But if you're under the age of 35... This rivalry's dead. I mean, we've been watching football since 1994, and I looked it up. The Packers are 33 and 11 against the Bears since we've been watching football. It's annoying when you lose to the Bears, and when you beat them, it's like you beat the Rams or something. Yeah, I mean, I would agree in, in a sense that it's not great right now. But I mean, even just think back a couple of years ago, it was pretty strong. I mean, when obviously with the NFC Championship game and the, the year, you know, a couple, I forget it was the year that two years after that where they played in the last game of the regular season with the postseason on the line. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously the Rex Grossman years when they were a Super Bowl contender. So, I, it, I mean, it goes away, and we've, we've definitely had the, the dominant side of, of the two. But at the same time, I mean, it can come back in a season. All of a sudden the Bears next year go 11-5, and five and they're our least favorite team. So mm-hmm. it's, it's not great right now because we've completely owned them the last few years. But I wouldn't say it's dead because I think it, it's something that gets revived very quickly. Yeah, and, and maybe dead is a strong word, but... I, even those years that you mentioned, those are literally the only times in our life where it's been an even rivalry. When you talk of those Rex Grossman years, the Packers sucked. I mean, they were just a doormat for the Bears to roll over, waiting to play the Vikings or to play Carolina or one of the actual contenders in the NFC. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you think even our whole lifetime, the 80s was the inverse of what it is right now, where the Bears were destroying the Packers every year, and, you know, if they had a close game with them, it was, it was mildly annoying. And really, once Holmgren and Wanstatt got here, it's it's been a massacre. And yeah. of, co- of course, it'll be revived because we all know a lot of Bears fans. But I had a hard time believing the hype that, oh my gosh, this is such an important rivalry game. I'm like, nah. I'm like, we beat them all the time. It's Unless it's on Monday Night Football, it's it's really not much of a, a contest. Yeah, and that's that's those guys' jobs, too. Obviously, that wasn't probably the best game they could have had for week one uh, and the opener in the afternoon, but that's what they had, so they got to do their due diligence, and it's an easy pitch, you know, for a game to throw into that spot. Hey, Bears Packers. Yeah, and, yeah, and I'm not I'm not promoting anybody. I'm just trying to make uh, maybe I'm trying to maybe uh, rub it in a little bit to the Chicago fans that um, we've been alive almost 30 years now, and we've never seen this rivalry outside of like three games. Has this rivalry been kind of the max uh, where where people talk it up to be? Yeah. But the Packers look great. Uh, as we mentioned, they won 31 to 23, and it really didn't feel quite that close. And this was a weird game where it was only a one point game going into the fourth quarter, and then the Packers really kind of went on a, a tear. They had a two-score lead at the two-minute warning. Uh, the Bears got a garbage touchdown and put a little bit of fear in everybody as we got to see another fun onside kick right after in the first meaningful game after the debacle in Seattle. But I don't know about you, Matt, but when when I was watching the game, it, it was so strange because it didn't feel like the Packers were at their best, but they're so much better than Chicago right now, and they're such a good team that – all they had to do was not self-destruct like they did in Seattle, and the Bears didn't have a chance, and that's exactly what happened. And to me, that gives 
I felt confident about that. I know there were some struggles with the run defense and whatnot, but to effortlessly dominate a familiar foe is something that not many teams in this league are capable of doing. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I, I think, obviously, that as you mentioned, the biggest weakness we saw was the run defense, but at the same point, there's not a lot of teams in the NFL that can come out and look as dominant as we did. Even though, like you said, the score ended up closer. Even when the score was, was so close at halftime, I didn't feel at any point that the Packers were going to lose that game because circumstances had had it that the score was close, but you could clearly see they were the better team and pulled away in the second half. Yeah. You know, it's probably similar to how an Alabama fan felt when they were playing Wisconsin <laughs> the other weekend. It's like, yeah, the score is close right now, but you can clearly see one side is, is more talented and you just knew they were going to pull away. So I, I, that is a definitely a positive because there's probably only five or six teams in the NFL that could do that against any team just look you know you just kind of look like you're manhandling them a little bit mm-hmm. uh, and not the defensive front but in the other aspects of the game yeah especially on the road too I mean which which we didn't even mention a lot of teams can go through the motions and win at home but to go through the motions on the road in the division and be able to not really ever feel threatened and decide well it's the fourth quarter now this is getting annoying let's just put our foot down and you know, squash these guys, which is essentially what they did. Aaron Rodgers had a pedestrian game for his standards. It was 18 to 23, 189 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. Ends up being 140 quarterback rating. And as I was watching it, it was clear to see that his calf is feeling better. But it wasn't all that impressive until I watched the Broncos play the Ravens, and then I watched Sunday Night Football, and then I watched the Monday Night Games, and... Aaron Rodgers going through the motions is 50 times better than everybody else in the league. It's insane. He he can throw to a pinpoint spot. His receivers, who he trusts, I mean they're they're great at catching in traffic, but he just looked like he was out there playing just a random game and he looked it wasn't even close to one of the best games we've seen from him in the last two seasons and he was head and shoulders better than anybody who played this past weekend including Tom Brady. Yeah, I, I mean, for him to be that efficient with that limited of opportunities, and especially without having played much in the preseason, was really incredible, and he hit almost every throw. So, you know, I, I agree. There's not much. I might disagree with you a little bit with the Brady thing. I thought that, you know, I think it's clear at this point that there's two top guys at this point. I think luck is close. Yeah. But I think with the way Tom Brady played on Thursday, I'd still keep him right there in terms of accuracy and, and doing what he does. I. I, I would definitely take Rodgers first, but uh, but I think Brady's right there. But obviously we can't complain. And any coach would die for the game Rodgers have, even if you knew you only had 190 yards passing. Mm-hmm. You know, just how pinpoint accurate he was and the efficiency and getting it done when he absolutely had to. And then getting the the ground yardage, too. I don't know what his rushing yardage was, but he had a lot of big plays with his legs, too. Yeah, he had, he had 35 yards rushing, which Tom Brady will never get you. And so I think that's, that's kind of where it's different. And I'm going to argue that... I think Andrew Luck, I've said it repeatedly on the show, he's one of my favorite players to watch in the league. He's probably my favorite non-Packer to watch, but he's not even close to those other two yeah. guys at this point. And, and wouldn't you say at this point, though, it's, it's got to be just Brady and Rodgers at the top? I, I know it's a small sample size at the beginning of this year to really rule out Peyton for good, but with the way he's looked the last 10, 12 games or so, it really seems that there's two clear-cut guys at the top where it seems like for the last five, six years there's been a, a jumble of like six or seven. Yeah, I would agree. Peyton, we'll see what happens the rest of the year, but the injury that he had last year was blamed for how badly he played in the second half of the year last year, and he was dreadful on Sunday. Flacco's not that kind of player, nor is Roethlisberger. Drew Brees is weird because he puts up a ton of numbers, but if you watch him play, he'll have his flashes, but then on a down-to-down basis, he doesn't look like he... He never has, in my opinion, on a down-to-down basis, looked to be in the league of Rodgers or Brady or, or Manning at his best. And Luck is just... You know, he he's... He's Brett Favre-like, but he's not even as close to as good as good Brett Favre is. He's like 2001 Brett Favre, where you can still see the flashes and he's dynamic, but I always get a little sensitive when people want to say, because a guy throws interceptions, that he's like Brett Favre. 1994 through 1997, Brett Favre would have never had the stink bomb that Andrew Luck had in, on Sunday in Buffalo. Yeah, agreed. Good defense or not, that was was not an impressive outing, and that's something you wouldn't see Aaron Rodgers do. You might see Brady do that. He's done that, but Rodgers really hasn't. 
Yeah, not not too well. <laughs> he did against Buffalo last year, but it was it was a little it was a different kind of stink bomb. It was kind yeah. of a a punchless uh, whatever. But I uh, didn't mean to take it into that conversation area. But if you've ever listened to the show, you know that I cannot resist yeah. a quarterback comparison conversation. So the rest of the offense, we should bring up James Jones. I cautioned on our last show that James Jones might be more like 2003 Antonio Freeman rather than this guy who seamlessly steps right in. And boy, do I look stupid after saying that. Uh, he looked exactly like 2012 James Jones, who isn't getting a ton of yards, but he's money in the red zone and always there when you need him. I couldn't believe he played that well. And I'll honestly, even having seen him play that well on Sunday, I'd be shocked if he plays that well all th- all season long. But that was not only encouraging for the pack, but really cool for a guy we all like. Yeah, that was insane. That first touchdown pass, I was going nuts. And then for it to continue after that, I think he got the one where that got called back and then had another one, obviously, after that. It was it was insane. It was almost like a dream. Like, you haven't seen this guy in this uniform for over a year, and all of a sudden he's back and, and just back the same exact way that he was before. It's such a huge win for this team. And uh, early on in the game, you saw them try to go to Devontae, I think, in a lot of similar Jordy-type throws, and they just weren't happening. And then as soon as Devontae missed a couple of those, they started going to Jones, and they started working immediately, the back shoulder throws and the tough catches. So it, he doesn't make up for everything we lose with Jordy, obviously, but that kind of a play, um, that's, that's his specialty, and that's what he's always done. Yeah, and I think that's what you just mentioned here, that whole scenario with Devontae and James Jones. I think that's where James Jones brings that value is that he is a security blanket and Rodgers trusts him. But I think that if this team is going to be this great offensive team towards the end of the year, they're going to have to slowly gain more confidence in Devontae Adams because he's, you know, he's younger and the body type and the type of catches that he's going to be able to make at his peak. I mean, everybody's seen the dunk video with him. I mean, he's clearly a much better athlete than James Jones is. And if there is anybody who can do their best Jordy Nelson impression, it's going to be Devontae Adams. And they missed with a couple of back shoulder throws, but he made that other catch along the sidelines that looked just like Jordy, you know, dragging a knee, getting out of bounds. So I think I think James Jones is going to be the big target early on, but you'd like to see a flash from Devontae Adams, especially this week. But as the season goes on, I hope they don't need James Jones to have two touchdown catches. Well, I think at this point in their careers, they're almost – like Jordy separated almost, at least I would say to a T. I mean, you've got James Jones who can do the back shoulders, the crisp route running, the tough catches, and Devontae's got the athleticism that Jordy has, but hasn't quite developed the catching and the route running that James Jones has obviously mastered at this point. Mm-hmm. And well, I agree with you that obviously Devontae's going to have to get better and he will. We, I mean, we saw it last year too. It seemed like last year, end of the year, Devontae was a little better than maybe what we saw against the Bears. Yeah. But I don't think you have to really decrease what you do to James Jones either at the same time. I mean, he's basically, I mean, think about maybe what the Patriots do with, a, you know, a Gronk. It, it's definitely completely different, but a guy that you can, in, in the red zone, a guy that you can throw it up to makes a tough catch, and that's something that we really didn't have last year. So if he's the guy that can do that for you, I mean, keep throwing it to him. I've got no complaints with it. 15 yards a pop and an insane catch. Yeah, and, and I didn't mean that you have to diminish his role, but I, I guess more from an emergent property that if you're still – if you still can't trust Devontae Adams on those James Jones-type throws by December, then you have a serious problem. Uh, but yeah. but you can't force it to happen. It's just got to happen or it's not going to happen. You you just kind of have to play the game and, and take what comes. But but I think you're right. I like the idea that you said about splitting Jordy in two, that there's nothing wrong with having James Jones catch 36 balls for 300 yards and have nine touchdowns and a bunch of th- seven-yard gains on third and six. I mean, that's that's what they brought him here for. They don't expect him to have 1,500 yards. Right. Eddie Lacy looked really good again, too, I thought. This guy just keeps getting better and better. Yeah, I, that might have been one of the better games I, I've seen him have, and I don't have the game stats right in front of me. But, I he mean, had 85 he was, yards, four and a half yards of carry. Wow. It, it just seems like it was so much more. He just didn't get the carries, obviously, because of the time of possession. But had he been able to keep getting fed, it would have been just like what we saw from Forte. And the guy was unstoppable. They couldn't tackle him. As long as the blocking was there, he was not getting stopped. Mm-hmm. So that's a really good sign of things to come this year. If you're missing Jordy and you're hurting a little bit in the passing game, that you can completely rely on this guy, it seems like. And like you said, getting better every year and has had some slow starts in the past but did not in week one this year. 
No, and he's becoming even more of a threat out of the backfield as a pass catcher, which he really improved upon last year, but then he had that insane one-handed catch from the Aaron Rodgers weird flip that he did, which it was funny because Aaron Rodgers almost seemed like he was regretful that he had done that in his post-game press conference. He was kind of describing that he doesn't usually make those decisions, and so he decided to take a chance as it looked okay. But, yeah, I thought... With as good a game as Matt Forte had, I thought Eddie Lacy looked every bit in that league. One thing I did want to say about Forte, though, I, we get so caught up in the Packers, and you're always like, well, if, if the other team's doing something good, it means the Packers are doing something wrong. And I'm trying to take a different approach this year and try to recognize that those other guys get paid millions of dollars, too, and try to appreciate them more as other talents. And Matt Forte, I, I'd have to watch a, a little bit more attentively to the other games in this regard, but... Matt Forte has an amazing skill that even if he's dead to rights one-on-one with a guy in a hole, he's able to move his body to the point where he still gets his full body length worth of extra yardage. Slips past the guy, lets him take his legs out, and he still gets like three yards. I, I mean, he's everybody knew he was good, but that little particular part of his game, I, I grew to appreciate on Sunday. Well, no matter how much you see this guy play, he's always going to be underrated, and just because he doesn't seem to have that crazy athleticism, he's not the most entertaining guy to watch, but he's been doing this for so long, and it's been so good. Mm -hmm. I'm just watching him again over the weekend, it was like, wow, I can't believe he's still doing this and doing it this well. He's been on a bad team in a, you know, a market that doesn't get a lot of airtime if they're not good. This guy is really, I mean, you think about it, he's, he's not quite to this level, but he's kind of been like a poor man's Marshall Falk. Yeah. But he's, He's not going to be a Hall of Famer because he's been on a bad Bears team. But, I mean, he deserves everything he gets, and it's really sad kind of to see these guys on these teams that will likely just get forgotten. But what a career he's already had, and he's not slowing down. He's, he's what, 28, 29 years old? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he's still got a couple of good years left, hopefully. It would be kind of nice to see him get to another team and maybe get a run uh, mm-hmm. at a championship just mm-hmm. because of the career he's had. He's he's just been incredible, and it's, it's insane how much consistency he's had. Yeah, I was trying to think of a player to compare him to. Um, I think he does a lot of the things that Marshall Falk does, but I Marshall Falk had the spectacular aspect of it where he would bust off yeah. an 80-yard run or break a billion tackles. He reminds me he, – he's had a much, much better career, but he reminds me of Dorsey Levins at his peak. Sure. Where he doesn't do anything spectacular, and then you look at the stat line at the end of the game, and he's got 20 carries for 120 yards and four catches for 50 yards. And you're like, how the heck did this guy do that? And they all were 15-yard gains and 17-yard gains. He, he never busts off an 80-yard run, and he never jukes a guy or makes him look silly. He just gets the ball and always gets yardage. Mm-hmm. So those were some of the good things. Um, before we go to the bad, I'll throw out some other good things that I saw. Um Clay Matthews, for as bad as the defense was and for as down as I've been on him on this show, he has a game like Sunday that is almost the rebuttal to every criticism he's ever had, that this guy is dynamic from anywhere. He can do everything. He can rush the passer. There might not be a better run stuffer um, at a linebacker position. I mean, obviously you have the Keekleys and whatnot, but he can't rush the passer like Clay can. And Clay then... Jay Cutler's getting destroyed for throwing another interception against the Packers. I was rewatching the game last night. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers wouldn't have made that throw, but that was a spectacular play by a really great player who kind of set him up playing that route, you know, finally recognizing what they were doing down the seam all day. And, you know, granted, it shouldn't have taken that long, but I, I don't think that's that much on Jay. I think that was Clay making a great play, and he did everything on Sunday and reminded us that, yeah, he is worthy of being in every single commercial that he's in. Yeah, yeah, and that was a great defensive play call, too, because they've been beating us all day, and Clay kind of fades off to the side, and as soon as the pass is coming, he throws it. He knows exactly where the pass is going, comes over and makes an incredible play that really only he could have made, especially on our defense. Yeah. Uh, only a very few guys in the league could have done that. And he had a really good game. If it wasn't for him, we, we might have lost very well. I, there wasn't a whole lot of guys on the defense that played well. So for him <laughs> yeah. to kind of keep the squad, and hopefully that's not the case going forward, but he really carried him. Peppers had a, a couple of nice plays, but pretty much everybody else was non-existent. Yeah, I thought the the only other guy that I really noticed, you, you mentioned Peppers. He had a couple of plays. I thought Demarius Randall had a pretty nice game. Yep, yep, he did. Uh, but other than that... Let's start transitioning into some of the things they can improve upon. I thought Casey Hayward was okay. I was worried that he was just going to be dreadful, but I didn't really notice him, which I think is a good sign. 
I thought Raji, who helped Peppers on one of the sacks, but I thought Micah Hyde, Raji, Mike Daniels, they were all a little disappointing. Yeah. yeah. And Shields and Dix had two of their worst respective games as pros. Yeah, I, I I couldn't believe what we saw from Shields. He had the nice play in the end zone against Jeffrey with the knockdown. You're like, all right, this is awesome. He's covering one of the best guys in the league and just making plays. And then just come, proceeded to crumble after that. <laughs> Bad penalties and, and missed tackles and missed coverages and was just horrendous. So I, I don't expect that from him the rest of the year, but that was the worst game I've seen him play. And Clinton Dix basically, you know, kind of famous last year, a high risk, high reward. And, yeah. But, uh, in that game, take out all the positives you saw last year and only add in the negatives, and that's exactly what he was. As you can probably hear my dog playing with his tug-of-war in the background. Yeah, if you're concerned, Matt is not getting mauled by a bear. Um, <laughs> that That's Wallace in the background, so uh, we'll just have to kind of deal with that. Um, he was bored for two days, so he's got a lot of energy right now and just wants to play. Yeah, that's all right. And I really think both just had bad games. I don't think they're bad players and need to be replaced. Uh, the thing with Shields, though, I think it's obvious at this point that they overpaid for him a little bit. We, we talked about that when they made the contract, that we figured they did overpay. They, they kind of had to. They, their hands were tied. You, It's really difficult to find somebody as good as Sam Shields, but what they paid him was for somebody who's much better than Sam Shields. So you're going to have to put up with games like that. I think he'll be okay. Clinton Dix is is young, so I think he'll he'll get better, obviously, but... Um, when Martellus Bennett was running at him, and he's a first-round draft choice safety, and he tries to tackle his, you know, the studs on his cleats, that's a little disconcerting. Yeah, and I, I was really hoping, and, and maybe it was uh, wasn't bound to happen, but I, you would really think that coming into your second year, Clinton Dix, uh, he showed flashes last year. To come out like that is super disappointed, and I'm sure he's feeling the same way. And the coaching staff is, I, like you said, I expect him to get a lot better. <laughs> he won't be that bad the rest of the year. He wasn't that bad last year, but you would just kind of hope to see, you know, with another offseason, just see maybe a little bit more growth than that. Yeah, yeah, it's the first game, so the starters played almost none in the preseason, so it's still almost like a preseason game for a lot of these guys. If he's making yep. those kind of plays at Thanksgiving, then that will be a little yeah. bit more troubling. But right now. It is what it is, I suppose. I was going to say that I didn't think the old line was that good, but rewatching the game yesterday, I thought they played really well. Yeah, they did well. Yeah, one of the things about rewatching the game is sometimes when you're watching the game, you're just trying to find out if they're going to win, and you're watching the ball. Yesterday, I made a point to just watch the offensive line, and Josh Sitton gets a lot of praise, but he is so good. He beats his guy almost every single play, and it was kind of fun to just. Uh, have it on the TiVo and be fast-forwarding some of those drives, and I was just going to watch Josh Sitton, and he almost never gets beat. I just thought that was kind of cool to to finally, for the people who are voting on the things, and just a lot of times with offensive linemen, you feel like you're being told who's good rather than seeing who's good, and uh, if you make a point to look at it, a lot of these guys who are getting the fanfare are, are worthy of it. Right, yeah, and it's something as a regular fan, unless you played offensive line or something, you're not going to watch that, so it's so hard to tell. Yeah. I mean, over the years, we, we've talked about this before, how everybody says how good he is, and we're like, you know, is he really? But if yeah. you actually go back and watch the tape, and, and I kind of did that a little bit in the preseason, too, when the stuff didn't matter, try to watch the offensive line and the defensive line a little more, and the guy's for real, obviously, so yeah. it's you don't just get the hype. For nothing, I mean, people don't just say you're the best without uh, something backing it up. So there's maybe like only four or five offensive line experts out there telling us that Josh Sitton is the best, but they're they're right. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else uh, from the game that stood out to you? Oh, uh, Ty Montgomery, I thought was That's, really good. He's the best returner in the league right away. I mean, he's just on those first couple of returns, he's better than anything we've had in a long time. He just looks so explosive. So he's definitely going to bust a couple this year, and I'm excited for it. We're going to need it. So yeah. Um, you know, maybe even this, this Sunday we're going to need it really bad. Maybe he can crack through that second layer on this this next game. Yeah, and on, on the flip side, Tim Mastay is terrible right now. Yeah, I don't I don't get how you come from being, as a punter, one of the more valuable te- players on a team on a Super Bowl run. Yep. From in you know in just five short years in a position where age doesn't matter a whole lot to being as terrible <laughs> as he is now. And they, they mentioned in the preseason, I was like, no way, I, I love Day. There's no way he's this bad. And you saw in the preseason, too, they brought in competition, um, but let him keep the job. But he's just, he's bad. And I don't know how it happens. Yeah. I mean, if they switch mid-year, but something has happened where this guy just can't do it anymore, at least not right now. 
No, and uh, if I'm no offensive line expert, I'm certainly no punting expert, but it just looks bad, and he looks unsure of himself. And um, who is that, Lockett for the Seahawks, who looks like a real dynamic returner? And I'm just dreading Tim Maste sending a lame duck right down the middle of the field that's going to result in a touchdown on Sunday. Uh, But we'll see. So the Packers are able to uh, defeat the Bears, uh, like we said, relatively easily. Before we move on, how good do you think the Bears are? Um, I think they might be a little bit better than people gave them credit for. I, I forget what I predicted for their record. It was somewhere around like seven and nine or six and ten. Mm-hmm. But you know, I think they could be around a five hundred team. It, I don't know if Cutler will play. I, I hate to say he played well because his numbers wouldn't show that. But I mean, based on past Cutler we've seen against the Packers, he played better than that. Yeah. And Matt Forte looks like the real deal. I still think that defense is miserable, though. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's hard to say. I, they'll, they'll beat some teams they're not supposed to, but they're going to lose some really bad ones, too. So I, I, I think they're probably a 7 or 9 team. I was shocked to see that Cutler had a 67 passer rating. I thought he played much better than that. But that he threw a lot of balls, and for not much yardage, there were a lot of dink and dunk stuff, so that's probably what happened. That's true. I mean, a lot of passes to Forte and things like that, and short passes. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, that's probably what they wanted from him. They wanted ball control and no mistakes, and unfortunately when he had to let loose, that's when the mistake happened. So yeah, you know, I, I, th- I think if he can keep playing like that the rest of the year and maybe more of the ball control offense, they actually have a shot unless their defense just every time they're on the field with a lot of touchdown like they did against us. <laughs> Which is certainly in the realm of possibility with that defense. So other week one things that, before we pick our week two games, this might be the only thing football-related that you will experience that is not brought to you by DraftKings.com. And, That's right. Oh, my gosh, that was oppressive. Yeah, and believe me, I if they... they do that once you're in how much they spent. Well, yeah, they spent $81 million since August 1st. I think $25 million just in the last, like, five days. Yeah. Since August 1st, they've shown 22,000 television ads. We had an infomercial before uh, the week before last, a 30-minute infomercial on Sunday morning about DraftKings host by the Barber Twins. It's everywhere. Every radio show, local radio shows, are being brought to you by DraftKings.com, and... Their logo was more visible than the NFL logo or the Fox Sports logo or the CBS Sports logo. I know that I'm never going to win this fight, but I don't know. It kind of took me out of the, the, the week one a little bit, as stupid as it sounds. It felt so artificial. Like, nobody is here to watch football. It's just the betting apparatus. And now it sounds like the feds are getting a little bit uneasy with this daily fantasy games and... I don't know about you, but I hate sounding like the old man in the rocking chair, but I, I want my, I want some football. I want a football and I want it to be catered to people who care if the Bills are going to beat the Colts. I don't care about that other stuff and all the betting. It's, it's oppressive right now. When you have a legend like Dan Fouts breaking down a game and they're showing fantasy point projections on the screen, a longtime football fan like me, that's hard to stomach. Yeah, I, I 100% agree, and I, I think I had a breakthrough this year. I've always cared more about the football than the fantasy, but I'm, I'm definitely into the fantasy. But I, I think I made the best decision I ever made this year in joining a third fantasy football team mm-hmm. because it's almost so much at this point, you can't track it, and I just didn't care. <laughs> so all day yesterday, or on Sunday, all I did was just watch the games. I didn't even track my points because it was impossible and it was pointless, too, because everybody I was playing, I was playing against in some other league, and it was awesome. But in terms of the DraftKings, you know, I never understand how that stuff's legal. I know a lot of it they do overseas, but apparently what they're doing is legitimate. And and I haven't heard this anywhere, but just kind of when I heard you talking about it, I'm starting to get the feeling that maybe the reason they did that was to kill the competitor in week one this year. Yeah. I, to be honest with you, I can't even remember the name of the other one. Do you know off the top of your head? I know there was two major ones. It's FanDuel, uh, but FanDuel. They, they outspent them 4-1 to one on ads. Uh, and now, you know, this is just becoming a big deal, so I'm sure this was strategic to all of a sudden FanDuel <laughs> could be done for. I mean, everybody who was thinking about doing this and week one shows up, you're like, you know what, I'm going to do DraftKings because you don't hear anything about FanDuel and that they might be dead now. So, yeah, you know, maybe that was the strategy for that. I, I doubt we'll see this much advertising throughout the rest of the year, just try to get everybody hooked and get mm-hmm. off of, you know, if they're going to choose one week one here when this is a big deal, they're going to go to the DraftKings. 
I, I still haven't partaken in that. I don't think I will, at least not for now. But uh, mm-hmm. it's uh, it was crazy. It was like the same three ads too. So yeah, it wasn't clever clever advertising at all. It was just showing people you know, waiting for the last play and celebrating and confetti and everything <laughs> like that. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they went with the same strategy of that old head-on product where they're just going to tell you yeah. the name of the thing a million times and get into your skull a hundred times until you finally sign up and join. Yeah. They, the reason they're getting, a, not getting away with it, that, that kind of incriminates them, but the reason that it's legal is they say it's a game of skill, whereas betting is luck, but I don't believe that at all. It's saying that I think Jordan Matthews is going to get 68 yards and a touchdown is no more skillful than saying I think that the Green Bay Packers will win by more than seven points. I don't think. I'd agree with that. I mean, it's, it's much more skillful than roulette or something like that, mm-hmm. but it's on the exact same level as betting on a game. There's yeah, which no is good. illegal in most yep, everywhere right. but Vegas. Yes, I'd agree with that. <sighs> so that, and, and luckily the extra point rule, uh, as we speculated, hardly played any part. 71 of the 74 extra points attempted were converted, so it's still a better bet than the two-point conversion, which I think it was four or five this week for the two-point conversion, but in the preseason it was about 45%, so I still think... That is not going to change very much. It, it might change towards the end of the season once teams start having to play in bad weather, but at least if they're going to ruin it with fantasy football that the extra point rule didn't cause a bunch of gross, disgusting scores that uh, would really throw a old codger like me over the edge. Yeah, but, I mean, that's 80% on two-point conversions. I'm sure, you know, if you get a bigger sample size, it won't be that high, but, yeah. you know, maybe some teams look at that and say, hey, why not? I give it a shot. Maybe week two we've got a lot more than five. Yeah, until a team loses a game on it, and then everybody's too afraid to do it for the rest of the year. Yeah, I, can't wait. I can't wait for that to happen. <laughs> I know. that It's going to be awesome. Okay, so the Rams upset Seattle. That's the next team that the Packers are going to play. Maybe we can speculate or uh, talk a little bit about some of these teams once we're doing our picks here. But a- any last thing that really stood out to you about the whole Week 1 experience? Uh, it's tough to do these on Wednesday because I've probably had a, a billion things to say on a Monday, but now you've heard the ESPN radio kill it by now, so nothing's interesting anymore. Yeah. I was really excited that the Falcons beat the Eagles, and uh, you know th- their offense looked good in the second half, but I was really pumped to see the Falcons win that game. I'm just I'm just waiting for the Eagles to implode. I don't know why I'm so obsessed with them failing, <laughs> but I, I just want to see it. So I was pretty excited <laughs> about that, and. Um, you know, also see the Seahawks lose was was my favorite game of the weekend. I was I was rooting hard for that, watching that game as well, and it was fun to see Marshawn Lynch get the, the carry on fourth and one and fail too. And, yeah, uh, it was it was kind of fun to see too. And and now watch the Seahawks completely implode and Marshawn Lynch's mom. Yeah, what the heck was that? that? Well, and that's what's so dumb. I know shows like ours exist because people do like the Monday morning quarterback aspect of things, but the the Seahawks got just destroyed all offseason because they threw the ball from the one-yard line, even though, as we talked about at the time, it's a relatively safe play. Russell Wilson is the only guy all of last year and including week one of this year to throw an interception on the one-yard line, so it wasn't this ridiculous play. 50% of the pass attempts resulted in touchdown passes from the one-yard line last year, so it's not like it was a ridiculous play, but it didn't work, so they got destroyed. And then they tried to run yesterday, and they got stuffed, so they got destroyed for that. McCarthy had a subtle version of that where... he got reamed for being too conservative in the NFC Championship game, and after they forced the fourth down, uh, the, the uh, turnover on downs for the Bears down in the red zone, he passed two of three times, and that didn't work either. And so I think for if you're a coach in the NFL, y- you can't win unless you win. <laughs> if you win, nobody cares. If you lose, nobody cares. It, it goes back to a couple years ago when they beat the Detroit Lions on that third and one bomb to Randall Cobb in the corner of the end zone where everybody thought what a gutsy play it was when statistically they had been horrible all year in those types of situations and they just got lucky. So I know shows like these don't exist if you can't second guess those kind of decisions, but you kind of have to remember that all of that stuff is is chance and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, that's that's the nice thing about little podcasts like us. And there's some good shows out there that'll do it, but we're not stupid enough to just immediately say if a play didn't go, it's the wrong call. I mean, you could say that Super Bowl play was was dumb. It should be given it to Lynch, but again, it was a high percentage play that just the best play in Super Bowl history, arguably, happened to make it. Yeah. Um, the bad play call, and again with 
Marshawn Lynch now on fourth and one. How are you second guessing that? You did it. He did exactly what you wanted him to do. The only thing was they ran it out of the shotgun, so that was a terrible play call. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. There's nothing you could say about it other than you know, every single time if it worked, it was the best. It was gutsy. If it doesn't, the coach is an idiot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pretty much. All right, let's make our week two picks. So with that big Falcons win on Monday night, you and I both went 11-5 and five in our picks, which is a respectable start for week one. Week two begins tomorrow night with the Denver Broncos at the Kansas City Chiefs. Who you got? Man, Denver at Kansas City. I, this is a tough one because it's in Kansas City. Kansas City looks so good. Denver looked so bad. Peyton looked so bad. But you just kind of feel this is the game that Peyton comes out and shows everybody that he's still the guy he was. But I just safe pick, maybe. Uh, i got to go with Kansas City here. They looked really good. It's, it's an arrowhead. They don't lose much there. I think they're going to win. Yeah, I'm going to pick Kansas City as well. I They've looked pretty good since the preseason. Uh, they were the only undefeated preseason team. They were a team that really... Um, they, they dominated then, and then they beat Houston. It only ended up being, I think, a seven-point win, but they beat them pretty handily as well. And yeah. their offense looked more dynamic than it had in the yeah, past. Yeah, they played on the field, which is weird for them. They looked like they could be for real. Yeah, I mean, they had some 14-yard bombs, uh, you know, so they I were... I think Kelsey caught, like, a 40-yard touchdown pass. Yeah, but the ball traveled, like, 15 yards through the air. It was mostly him <laughs> running after the fact. But, yeah, Manning looked terrible, and... At some point, you think he's going to hit the wall, and you're right, he, he might come out and show everybody he's still got it, but he he looked pretty dreadful on uh, on Sunday, so I'm going to stick with Kansas City at home. A very interesting game, New England at Buffalo. I'll select this one. I have a hard time believing that uh, even at home that Buffalo is going to beat Indy and then New England in back-to-back weeks. Um, I'll... I'll I'll stick with the Patriots. I, I, I think that, um, you know, I don't know if Tyrod Taylor is going to be that good again. And so I'll, I'll take the Patriots. Yeah, and I was just going to pick the opposite of whatever you picked here because I'm so torn <laughs> on this one. So I'll take Buffalo at home. And, you know, you say Tyrod Taylor was so good, and, and he was good at what he had to do, but he only threw, what, like 17 passes? Yeah. He had the really nice deep throw to Percy Harvin, but other, other than that, he didn't have to do anything, and LaShawn McCoy didn't even have to do anything. Yeah. That defense was that good against that good of an offense, and the Patriots are down to three receivers on their 52-man roster right now. So mm-hmm. I, I think Gronk is obviously the big problem, but if anybody can shut him down, with the way that defense looked, it's probably them. I think the Bills win this one. Yeah, Gronk counts for like three and a half receivers, though. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I think the Patriots beat him when they're in New England, but I think the Bills can maybe sneak away with this one here this weekend. Yeah. And Rex knows the Patriots well, so. I hope we get that game because I would really like to watch that. And yeah, I'm, I'm positive, we'll get to it in a little bit here, but I'm positive our Fox noon game is going to be Detroit at Minnesota. Uh, I've seen like every Detroit at Minnesota game for 20 years, and I don't think I've been entertained one time. I don't know why they need to give us those games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tennessee at Cleveland, a rematch of that big comeback game last year. And probably Johnny Manziel playing quarterback. Tennessee's, Tennessee's getting a generous start to the season here with their schedule. Yeah. Um, this is a tougher one because I, I think that the Browns are maybe even a little bit better than Tampa, but with how good Tennessee looked, it's hard to pick against them at this point. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. This is a tough one. Um, I think Manziel's probably going to start, it sounds like. I guess I haven't heard anything on that since the game, but it sounded like McCown was pretty banged up. Well, he, he was going through the concussion protocol, and I don't know. And Plus, he's Josh McCown. Why does he have an unquestioned starting spot? He sucks other than one season, and he's been playing for like 14 years. But at the same time, I mean, don't you trust that offense a little bit more with him in there than Manziel? I mean, Manziel's made one good play in the last, you know, nine games he's played, and I might trust the Browns' offense with McCown a little bit more than Manziel. Yeah, but he's only got to start like four times. At some point, he's a first-round pick. You're not playing for a Super Bowl this year. Why don't you just see what you have? If it's a disaster, who cares? At least people will tune in. I agree. Might as well. But I guess uh, I'll pick Tennessee. I'm I'm close on this one. I don't think Tennessee is what we saw on Sunday, but I I don't think the Browns can hang with them either. Yeah, I'll take Tennessee, and then we'll get real annoyed with uh, people anointing Marcus Mariota as, like, the best quarterback in the NFL because he'll probably throw another three touchdown passes. And I, I kind of like Cleveland's new uniforms, but they look like Bowling Green. Oh, no, I, I hated them. I was surprised because I love me some orange. <laughs> but I think if they, they wear the white pants, I think I'll like them. But with that with the orange and the... On the pants and the helmet, I I thought it was kind of disgusting. They look 
It did look a lot like Bowling Green, but I did not like it at all. I thought they were terrible. What is Bobby Boucher's college? They look like that, too. Yes, uh, the Mud Dogs. I don't remember, <laughs> yeah. I don't remember the city or the, the name, but it was some long thing, but they were the Mud Dogs. It does look like that. They were orange and brown, too. Yeah, so that'll be fun. Maybe they should sign him. They'll have a little bit of a better chance. Houston at Carolina. Weird, weird game. Um, Houston's bad games this week. <laughs> yeah. I know it always seems like week two is like that, where they get you hyped up with some good first week matchups, and then they're like, oh, here are all the other games we didn't know where to put. So we're, we'll assume by week two you're still excited, so we'll stick all the bad ones. I'll take the Panthers. They're at home, and it sounds like Houston's going to play Ryan Mallett. They're, yep. Their quarterback position's a disaster, and for as much hype as J.J. Watt gets, deservedly so, but you still have to remember that he's the very best player at a position that really doesn't matter. Yeah, and that Houston defense sure didn't look as good as everybody was hyping them up to be this year, either week one. So I, I'd, last week I would have picked Houston in this game. Uh, I think they probably got as much offensive firepower as Carolina does, but I, I think I definitely trust that Panther defense more. So I'll take Carolina at home. Yeah. Arizona at the Bears. So the Bears get two home games to start the year, but two really tough opponents. Yeah, I'm going to take the Bears here, I think, in an upset. I, I think everybody's really, really high on Arizona right now, and, and rightfully so. They were good last year. Carson Palmer's playing well. The defense seems to be playing really well. But I, I just think this is one in Soldier Field. The Bears uh, at home, I think, will sneak one out here. They look good against us, and I think we're a lot better than Arizona, and we just kind of snuck out of there alive. So I think the Bears might uh, come off their momentum and beat the Cardinals here. Yeah, I'm tempted to pick the same but I think I'll stay with Arizona maybe just to keep it more interesting but I think they'll play against the run a little bit better than the Bears they might be able to win a low scoring game I don't know Carson Palmer's look pretty good I'll stick with Arizona I mean they're a good team it would be weird for the Bears to lose two straight at home but you know it's it's happened to bad teams before and um, I, I think Arizona can win I don't know this is it's, it's it's a tough game. A lot of the it's week two. Who, who knows who's going to be good at this point? San Diego at Cincinnati, another game that's really tough to pick. I hope we don't get this one instead of New England and Buffalo, but there's a chance. Yeah, I, I hope not. Either. I want to watch either of these teams. Um, this is tough because they the Bengals obviously blew out the Raiders, who don't look like as good of a team as I think a lot of people thought they would be. But they, they looked really good though, still. Uh, I, I think I trust them more here. San Diego won. They looked bad in the first half against Detroit. I think Cincinnati's just maybe a little bit more well-rounded, and they're at home, so I'll, I'll take the Bengals. Yeah, I'll agree with most of what you said there. And Cincinnati always seems to start hot. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. San Diego didn't look that great. Detroit looked almost that they just didn't want to win more so than San yeah. Diego went and took it from them. So I'll take the Bengals. The Lions at the Vikings. So both of the Packers' chief challengers – what it looks like to be their chief challengers. One of them's going to drop to 0-2. I think, oof. This is a tough one. Yeah. The Vikings looked terrible on Monday night. I don't know how late you stayed up, but they looked atrocious. At home, I'll take them, because apparently Matthew Stafford didn't convert on a third down after the first drive. Uh, and Amir Abdullah looks legit, though. Yeah, he does. But I'll, and, I'll take the Vikings at home. Yeah, that might be the difference. So is uh, Amir Abdullah. He looked really, really good, and he'll get more touches, I'm sure. But I, they're going to let Adrian Peterson out of the cage. It, it's a really tough one. I think probably just because they're at home, I'm going to take the Vikings. And I don't think they'll play that bad again. But uh, I, I don't think Detroit's much either, so I'll take Minnesota. Yeah, and the, the fact that Minnesota got dominated by a team I don't think is very good at all was very scary as well. Did you see that fight, that fight video with the Vikings fan and the 49er fans no it didn't apparently they they caught the video started after supposedly this vikings fan had said something but it was awful like you've seen a lot of this stuff with dodger games too and uh, san francisco giant games but they're just kicking this guy they had him down on the ground they're kicking him in the head i mean it was terrible like they had a security guard that was in there and he was trying to restrain people and they're still running back in there and trying to kick this guy and I mean, he's lucky he was able to walk away from that, honestly. And uh, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to read into it and say that, you know, 49er fans are thugs, even though a lot of this stuff seems to happen in the Oakland and Los Angeles and San Francisco. But, man, the NFL is, is going to run into some trouble here because 
Not only that, but they're trying to put Wi-Fi in all the stadiums. They did it at Lambeau, and when I was at Lambeau, it didn't work at all. Now that the blackout rule is gone, who the heck would go to a game when it costs 150 bucks to go there once you incorporate parking and beer and food and stuff when you can have every single game sitting on your couch with cheap beer and cheap food, and then you might get beat up if you go to the game too. I mean, I I, I don't understand... I, I I don't understand why people would want to go to games in those areas. And if you are beating people up for a sports team, you're like, yeah, the worst. You're the worst. Yeah, you're you don't belong in society. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it really, unless you're a, you know a Packers fan or a team with a historic stadium where it's kind of an event just to go. I mean, if you're a if you're a Jaguars fan or a Bengals fan, like why the hell are you going to the stadium? I would never go. No. And I, I haven't been to a Packers game in a few years, but even that, it's it's a pain. I mean, you sit by these 45-year-old hammered guys who are telling <laughs> you about weird stuff you don't want to hear about. You just want to watch the game. Yeah. And it's, I don't know. I agree. I, I, I love going to Lambeau so much, but I, I think I'd only do it once a year at this point just for the experience. It's, it's tough to deal with the fans, and it's just so much easier and cheaper and better to watch from your home. Yeah, and I went to the preseason game this year, and I thought for sure that I wanted to go to like three or four games this year because we haven't—I haven't been to a game with you in a long time. You know, some of my other friends, I haven't been to games with them in a long time. But I didn't really have much desire to come back. And if I get a chance to get some tickets near face value, I might go. But the whole, granted, it was the fourth preseason game, so I understand it's a little bit of a different animal. But people are just sloshed right away, and. There's one guy that must have came back with double fisting, uh, um, red apple ales about eight times. Everybody's just, and then the people who aren't hammered are doing nothing but taking selfies the whole time. It's like and, everything about society I hate smashed in front of my face while I'm sitting on a hard bleacher. And we've we've seen the guys when you and I have gone, but I never will understand the the 50 year old guy who goes to the games by himself, has season tickets, and somehow shows up smashed. Yeah. What is, where does he go, and what is he doing? Does he just wander up to a tailgate party and just start drinking their booze, or does he just get absolutely tanked at his house and stumbles over to the game? Like, who thinks that's fun? And, I mean, you can't be married. Can you imagine, like, the guy's wife sitting at home? And he's just there lining up ten shots and just taking them all. Or, or have grandkids or... Or any of that kind of stuff. I, I never understand that human being, and I never will. I, but I would like to follow them around for a day. <laughs> the game starts to see exactly how they do what they do. Screw hard knocks with a team. They ought to. They, they ought yeah. to study some of these super fans that <laughs> sit on box drunk white beard guy that sits in front of us. For Let's. I want to see how he starts his day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that needs to be on HBO for sure. <laughs> All right, uh, getting back on track here. The Tampa Bay Bucks at New Orleans. Jameis Winston looked as terrible as feared. I don't think it's going to get better at the Saints. I don't necessarily think the Saints are all that good, but I don't see Jameis Winston turning himself around anytime soon. Yeah, and I know it's one game, but I'm super pumped that I called him a bust or that he was going to be after. It's just, you know, it's such a small sample size, but you just feel vindicated, like, yeah, he's the worst. Um, but I, I think the Saints win this game at home. It's uh, obviously you've got Drew Brees against Jameis Winston, and it's not like the Bucks have an insanely good defense or anything to make up for it. I just don't know how they score more points than the Saints in this one. Yeah, agreed. The Atlanta Falcons at the New York Giants, two teams that sort of looked okay, but I'm not sure how good they are. Um, I think it's your turn to pick first. Sure. This is a hard one, too. Because I think they're pretty close to the same skill level. It's just kind of a matter of how the Giants come back from that game the other day. I, I think they might even be a little bit better than Atlanta in a tougher division. So I, I guess at home, you know, trying to make up for that bad loss, I'll pick New York. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, my voice did something weird there. Um, <laughs> I will also take the Giants. They, they've they been a very resilient team over the years. They've kind of, well, then again, they sort of self-destructed last year. But even the year before, they were 0-6 and then finished like 7-9, and so... I think they can roll with the punches. Eli Manning and Tom Coughlin at this point are completely bulletproof. They've if they're not going to get fired after the last two years, you know, <laughs> they're they're not afraid for of anything. They're just going to go out there and do their thing. And I'm still not that convinced that the Falcons are any good. I, I think they played a really good game on Monday, but I don't know if they're going to be able to sustain that. I know we had differing opinions on our expectations of the Falcons, but I think the Giants will will win this one. Did you stay up to watch the rest of that 
Giants-Cowboys uh, game to see the end? I didn't see all of that one, yep. Okay. Yeah, and Coughlin was getting reamed, too, because uh, and Eli, too, because they were too I, aggressive down in the red zone. I think that was Coughlin's fault. I think that was pretty clearly Eli's fault. Yeah. I saw that game, but after all the... I had watched so much football the day before, and I, you know, having watched the Packer game and watching the late games, and then being so inundated with DraftKings.com, I was so like OD'd on football that I actually turned off the Cowboys and Giants game. I saw the last drive, and I saw the the lead up to it, but I watched the U.S. Open championship instead. Um, uh, it was really weird after Eli made that decision to throw it away. The, I, I was sitting there shocked. And the announcers didn't say anything at all. And Eli was looked like he was shrugging his shoulder like he was mad at somebody else. But the announcers didn't even address it. They're just like, man, he throws it away on third down. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm just like appalled. I was like, how did he not slide there? And and how does he not know how to, you know, to do Take that? Take a That's sack, like, yeah. It was, it was really, really strange. And, they, and obviously they lost. And they had a weird situation with the play clock reset earlier in the drive, too, where they let 17 seconds sit on the play clock and snap the ball. Huh. It was it was really bizarre to see us uh, a, a veteran quarterback do that kind of stuff. It was it was really really strange. So it was yeah it was a weird, a weird game to watch. And then the Cowboys just marched straight down the field and score after that. It was it was really strange. Yeah, and I felt like I was supposed to be impressed that Tony Romo threw a touchdown with seven seconds left. But I'm kind of like, well, Aaron Rodgers did it last year with three seconds left, and the year before Brady did it with like 12 seconds left against the Saints. Yeah. It. I don't know. I just I felt so exhausted with that. It's almost like the the game is just so artificial now that it's built to do that kind of stuff. And I never get as excited as those things as I'm supposed to. And right before that, this I promise this will be my last get off my lawn old man moment of this podcast. But I was watching the U.S. Open tennis. I've been a real big tennis fan the last three or four years. And uh, Djokovic and Roger Federer had another really good matchup. But uh, Djokovic was able to win, and he's never that popular with crowds. He, he, tennis purists have some problems with him, but for the most part, it's just Federer is super popular. So Djokovic always likes to go and celebrate with his family, and so he got hoisted up into the stands, and it was too high for him to jump back down, so he has to walk through all of the crowd. And most of the people in the crowd are like filming him with their phones, which is fine. I'd probably do the same thing. But I saw a ton of people who... Like, Novak Djokovic, who's going to be one of the greatest athletes of this generation, and if you're buying tickets to the U.S. Open tennis final, you're clearly a big tennis fan, and he is walking behind these people, and they're turning their back to him so that when he walks by them, they're not even looking so they can take a selfie with him in the picture. It's like, can you imagine that? This is one time in your life that you're going to be, like, a foot away from one of the biggest sports stars in a sport you clearly care about if you're in... I mean, this is one of the Super Bowls of tennis. And imagine you're at the Super Bowl and Tom Brady's coming through the stands and he's walking right past you and you're not even going to look at him with your own eyes. You're going to wait to take a selfie? Uh, I was just like, gosh, what the heck? Where? What's wrong? Where's my America? Yeah, America. Yeah, I, I, I've never been a big picture guy, but I, I kind of think you'd... Uh, lean towards the mental memory of actually being able to look at the person and maybe reach your hand out, get a high five or something. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, you can't post that on, on Twitter. So, <laughs> yeah, that's I, 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 and I think Twitter is dumb. I mean, we're not old people, but yeah. I, I'm 27 and I think Twitter's the stupidest thing ever. Well, follow me on Twitter, Green Gold Forever. Uh, I tweet a lot that's during the, the games. Twitter that's not stupid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You should unfollow everybody else so your whole feed is just what I'm saying during the games. Okay, I promise, enough of the old man talk. San Francisco at Pittsburgh, two teams that had weird week ones. I'm not sure what to make of it. Yeah, Pittsburgh for sure. I, I, San Francisco looked a whole lot better than I thought they would. I, I stupidly probably at, now at this point picked them four and twelve. I think the defense uh, looked a lot better than I thought they would. Gonna, they were going to be with losing all of those pieces. And the run game with Carlos Hyde was really, really good, and I didn't know he was that much of a, an agility and speed back. I thought he was just kind of this, oops, sorry, text, this lumbering <laughs> um, big running back, and he was not that at all. So yeah. they're a lot better than I thought, but Pittsburgh's still, I think, way better than they are, so I think they win at home. I'll pick Pittsburgh also, and I'll disagree with you. I thought San Francisco looked terrible on Monday night and had nothing to do with their play. It's because they had the worst alternate jerseys in the history of NFL football. That was bad. Like, I don't, I don't even understand. They have no black in their uniforms anywhere, so they come out with all black. That's oh, that dumb Nike stuff. They do the same thing. It sounds dumb, but with Purdue... Purdue had like a highlighter colored jersey, and I don't know if it was for a cause. If it was, I apologize. But there's teams that are using alternate jerseys that don't even incorporate their regular colors. I don't understand. 
But well, in yeah. a team like San Francisco, you've got, I'd say, top five coolest uniforms in the NFL. You're the team mm-hmm. that doesn't have to do that. If you're Jacksonville or yeah. using them as an example, but you know, a team that has no history, fine, go for it. Use the All Blacks. It's kind of cool sometimes. But for the 49ers with those awesome red home uniforms and the gold pants and just the coolest things, and to do the all black thing on opening night was really really stupid. Yeah, and I don't think I haven't heard a positive thing about them yet. But I, you and I are uniform purists, and I hate <laughs> it. Well, yeah, and, and those uniforms, I would argue, in sports are in the top ten. And if you're the NFL, why would you ever not want them wearing those? Arguably, both the greatest quarterback and greatest receiver of all time are laden in your highlights wearing that uniform. Wouldn't you want that to always be at the forefront of your broadcast? The Rams at the Redskins. I will pick first. I think the Rams will go to 2-0 and because Washington is terrible, and I don't think I'll pick them all year. Yeah, easy one, Rams. The Baltimore Ravens at the Oakland Raiders, another team who looked terrible on Sunday. Uh, the Raiders, it sounds like Derek Carr is going to play. Baltimore didn't look that good either offensively. Ooh, this is a tough one to call. Yeah, it, it seems like it might be a little bit of a trap game here. Yeah. For who, though? <laughs> Both teams. Well, yeah, yeah. Baltimore. I, <laughs> I, I think that Baltimore is clearly the better team, but I yeah. don't think Oakland's anywhere near as bad as they looked the other day either. Yeah. I, I think I'll take the Ravens. Uh, is that what you're picking? Yeah, I'll, I'll pick the Ravens, too. I, I think it'll be a close game, and I, I think they might get cut off guard a little bit, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Raiders won. But you can't look that bad. We wanted for me to pick you the next week, I don't think, either. Yeah, especially if Carr is, you know, Carr is a young up-and-comer anyways, and then he's going to be a little bit hurt, so that might not bowl well for them. And Baltimore's defense at least looked good, unless you think Peyton Manning's that terrible. Miami at Jacksonville. Um, I'll pick this one first. I'm going to ride the Miami train against these Terrible teams, mainly just to justify my pick of them being in the AFC Championship game. But they looked pretty good defensively and efficient enough on offense, so I still think they'll be able to eke out a win. Yeah, I'm I'm taking Miami, too. I made the decision to pick Jacksonville last week, and it looks stupid now because they looked so bad on offense, (laughs) and I did not expect that at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they're playing a really good defense this week. I think it might be low scoring. I think Jacksonville can maybe hang in, but I, I can't picture the... Um, the Jaguars' offense scoring a whole lot of points on this defense. I'll pick Miami. Yeah. Dallas at Philadelphia. So Des Bryant is out at least four weeks, but now they're talking that they have no timetable for his return. He broke a part of his foot that apparently doesn't heal very fast because there's not a lot of blood flow is the official medical reason. But So he's going to be out a while. Of course, I lose two of my key receivers on week one of fantasy, but, again, who cares? <laughs> um, man, this is a tough game. I think Philadelphia at home will be able to score enough to beat Dallas and Dallas trying to find uh, what to do without Des Bryant, at least this week, I think uh, will be challenging for them. So I'll take the Eagles. Yeah, I'll, I'll pick the same. And, and I'm not on the Eagles bandwagon, but I think the the, the uh, Cowboys without Des Bryant isn't much of an offense. So I, I think the Cowboys probably sneaked away with a win they probably shouldn't have had. And the Eagles look good enough in that second half to beat Atlanta, and I think that kind of shows more this week. Yeah. So I think uh, Philly was at home. The Jets are on Monday Night Football against the Colts. Why? <laughs> I don't know, but I'm going to pick the Colts. <laughs> okay. I, that Jets offense looked, uh, looked worse than I expected with Ryan Fitzpatrick. And uh, I know they beat the Browns by quite a bit, but I don't know. I'm not buying in yet. Chris Ivory's not going to do that again with a couple of touchdowns. And yeah. I, uh, I, the Colts won't get held back like that again. I know the Jets' defense is good and maybe even kind of similar to Buffalo, but uh, there's I don't see any way that they let that happen again. Yeah, I'll agree. And for some reason the last two years, while they challenged the Packers with road games and hard games to start the year, they really want the Jets to get off to a strong start because they played Oakland at home to start the year last year, and then this year they get to play the Browns at home to start. So apparently they, they think the Jets are money and they need them to be 1-0 and to, to help get that fan base excited. I don't know. But it's, uh, it's going to end on Monday. I think the Colts will beat them. And now the biggest game perhaps of the whole regular season for the Green Bay Packers, um, at least when you looked at the schedule, the Seattle Seahawks come to town to play the Packers. Man, this is this is a tough one to pick. Who you got? Uh, yeah, I, I I really at this point don't see any way I can pick Green Bay, to be honest with you. Yeah. I think uh, Seattle showed a lot of vulnerability against the Rams, but I think so did we, and I think it's that matchup that's, that bodes really poorly for them. You know, if... if Matt Forte can do that. Marshawn Lynch is going to do that. 
And if Jay Cutler can do what he did, um, picture an efficient Russell Wilson picking you apart. It's in Lambeau, so I want to pick the Packers. I just can't though, until I see it happen. I hope I'm wrong, but I got to pick Seattle. Yeah, the, the matchup is terrible for the Packers, but I'm going to be the homer and I'm going to say that the Lambeau crowd at prime time, I think they're going to be geared up. They're going to have BJ Raji. Um, you know, it was Boy, yeah. Roger, it was Raji's first, yeah, but it was Raji's first game back in, in a year. So maybe he'll be a little bit better than he was this past week. I didn't think he was too bad. They'll, granted, they'll have Nate Palmer in instead of Sam Barrington, who's out for the year, but I don't know. It's, it's another one of these things where, one of these times, doesn't Aaron Rodgers have to play like Aaron Rodgers against one of these good defenses? He never does. I don't know. If you're not going to beat Seattle on Sunday night, then you're going to have to get somebody else to do it for you. They'll never get a better chance. I know Jordy's out, but you're never going to get perfect circumstances. You had it in January, and it didn't matter anyways. So now you have it at home. I don't like the matchup, but I'm going to... I'm just going to pick Green Bay. I think that their stars are going to play like stars, and, and hopefully it all works out for them. Yeah, I, I think I'm just done picking them in games like this until they finally win one. Because you always think, like, this has got to be the time they're good enough to do, and they just never seem to do it. Maybe, like you said, with Cam Chancellor out, maybe with all the distractions they've been coming across here for the last week, this is your opportunity in a somewhat meaningless week, too. Yeah. But uh, I sure hope you're right. I don't know who's going to catch all those passes from Rodgers, though. I mean, if we had Jordy Nelson, it'd be a different story, but... Uh, well, at least it's only week two, so they they already have a one-game lead on Seattle, and this is kind of the way things work, is it always feels like you're you're measuring up against this team, and you're trying to, to, to play them for home field, but then some other team comes out of nowhere, so the Packers and Seattle are trying to, to jockey for position early on, and then somebody like Atlanta will go 13-3, and three or, or some stupid thing like that, right. so it won't matter. Okay, so that wraps up a longer version of Green and Gold Forever. Hopefully the Packers are able to win on Sunday, obviously, but I'm going to try not to overreact to this game, and it's just week two, and for whatever reason, I'm not as geared up and pissed to beat Seattle as I was. I don't feel like I did um, trying to avenge the fail Mary game because Seattle really got humbled a couple weeks later. So it's not like they're coming in all brash and cocky and bragging about what happened. They want to talk about it as little as the Packers do. It seems mm. like so. I think Seattle, especially having lost, is is a bit more humble, a, li- a bit more tolerable for the time being. So I, I guess I don't have that venom that I thought I'd have going into this game. Yeah, same here too. And I hate this team as much as. Most teams that I've hated in my uh, my time as a football fan, but I agree. I, I'm coming into this game with low expectations, and you know if you can pull off a win, it's huge. And I, I know as soon as the game starts, I'll get sucked right back in and and be a, a crazy fan and hoping the Packers win. But as of right now, you know you take a loss here, you're one and one, you're still okay. It's not a huge deal week two, but it would sure be huge to get a win. Yeah, absolutely, and and it will vault the Packers' confidence level through the roof. I mean, they could yep. go on a heck of a tear then if they were able to do that. Okay, so if you want to follow along with the podcast, um, you can interact with us on Facebook. That is Green and Gold Forever Podcast on Facebook. Um, we had some great comments from uh, fans about the game on there. Uh, we're not going to have a chance to read them here, but I definitely appreciate everybody for getting on there. Uh, as we mentioned before, you can uh, follow me on Twitter, at Green Gold Forever. That's the number four. I'll be talking a lot about sports and different things throughout the week, and especially during the Packer games. This time of year means it's time to tune in to KZ Radio uh, during your drive from work on Friday afternoons. That is 92.9 in Appleton, 104.3 in Green Bay, or anywhere in the world at mykzradio.com. Listen to some of the greatest hits of the 80s and 90s, and uh, you get to hear me gab with Ty Collins about the Packers as well. So uh, it sounds like the ultimate win-win to me. And also um, go to the the website greengoldforever.podbean.com for all the archives and some other articles that have been written there. So, Matt, I appreciate you being able to do the Wednesday show. I know you've had quite a busy week, but I've tried these podcasts by myself in the past, and... I'm I'm kind of a bit like Rain Man when I don't have somebody here. I I just uh, start mumbling around and talking about uh, Jim Everett and Bobby A. Bear and random stuff that has nothing to do with with the Packers, which I do when you're here, anyways. But at least you, we we have another person talking about it. Yeah, I, I love a good A. Bear conversation, but I'm I'm happy to join tonight. <laughs> 
So was Bobby Abear better with the Falcons or with the with the Saints? Oh, well, maybe we'll talk about that next time. It's got to be the Saints, right? Obviously, yeah, it's got to be Saints. Okay, he do, he did go to the Pro Bowl with uh, the Falcons though in, in '93. What year? I think. What year though? '93, I think, as an alternate, but. <laughs> You can research that on a, once we're off the air. You clearly already have. Well, I just remember, I actually have the 93 Pro Bowl on tape. It's, it's one of my favorites. Brett Favre plays the ultimate maniac Brett Favre game. He gets a penalty as an offensive and defensive player on the same play. Throws an interception oh. and then does a low block. So it's, it's, I don't remember what it is, but it's fun. Okay. So with that, uh, the Packers have Seattle. It's a big one. It should be a fun one. These are the kind of games that make, Pro football interesting. So go to DraftKings.com and bet on who you think's going to win. So for Matt in Altoona, I'm Eric in Appleton, and uh, we'll catch you next week. Take care, everyone.